everybody, this is Drew. And it's Blake. And you're listening to the Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke Controllers podcast. Welcome to episode 97 on the road to 100. Real quick, our social media preamble. You can find us on all the major social media platforms just by searching the podcast name. Simple as that. You can also, you know, this is where you'll keep, you know, track of our comings and goings and whenever we post to do our our co-op endeavors with our editor and cousin Brian. That's the main thing. We want everyone to kind of join in and hang out with us on those. You can get on that at twitch.tv to smoke and controllers forward slash. forward slash to smoke and controllers my bad and feel free to please pop in that and holler at us hang out with us because uh right now we have finished our playthrough of the division two we've yeah. kind of washed our hands of it we'll talk about that when we come of it and we are working our way through diablo 2 resurrected yeah well so there's Share on, if you want to see how we're feeling about that, come to one of the streams. Uh, where I'm, so far, we seem a little less than enthused. I told my wife before I started playing, I was like, I'm about to start at the night we're starting to play it. I was like, I'm about to start a game that I have like 20 or 25 years of hype behind it. I've never played before. I'm really excited to play it. I hope it doesn't disappoint. Boy, howdy. <laughs> but we'll talk about it then. <laughs> Lastly, of course, uh, just like everybody who has a podcast, we have a Patreon. Uh, please feel free to hop in that. You can... Right now, I think it's just the one tier. Hmm. You really just get the unedited version of the podcast, which some people are into that. And the other thing you do is you have a chance of uh, naming one of our episodes, one of the really long and wacky names of the episodes that we... Are seem to be the only ones that enjoy, but we find it fun. And then yeah, uh, to tell it's only me and Blake because we've we've offered Brian the option to name something, and he's never took us up on that. No, not once. So he doesn't care as far after the edit is done. Uh, besides the Patreon, we also have a a store where you can buy our Lockstock merch. You know, that's got and co-op endeavors. And oh yeah, we have co-op endeavors on there. There's a pretty awesome hoodie that Brian bought and said it was actually quite comfortable. Yeah, she wears to the stream sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, well, if you don't want to remember any of this, the uh, everything is in the show notes. For sure. And so I'm gonna kick off. Like I said earlier, our road to a hundred is we're still in doing that. So we're going through older games or even kind of offshoot games, stuff that I've kind of like played in my in my spare time, but I've played a bunch of it enough that it's worth talking about for sure. Uh, today, for example, we got two games for you. One of them is entirely me, no Drew at all. Mm-hmm. I played the original. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't play this. This is the second or third game. Technically, it's their fourth. Well, but in that in that in that franchise, the fourth. They've only ever made Dungeon Defenders. So is it? You just said the name, but that's okay. But this is Dungeon Defenders 2, ain't it? Mm-hmm. I thought they, I thought they'd announced the third one, or they have like weird side games. We'll, like, we'll, we'll get into yeah. that. And so they say the game is primarily me. Uh, I play. I'm the only one that actually played it, but Drew has at least knowledge of 
the franchise. And then the second game we're doing is a pretty cool little RPG that Drew did play, <laughs> but I don't know if, I don't think, I think Drew ended up dying on the final boss once or twice and then didn't beat it. And then I came in like a year or so later, honestly, and uh, when I played it, we had better guides and I was able to beat the game. But we'll talk about that when we get there. First and foremost, let's go ahead and jump into our first game, which is called Dungeon Defenders 2. Now, this originally came out June 20th, 2017, and it is, they have a, a kind of long and arduous development company. So the people who made it are called Chromatic Games, and they've made four games so far. Uh, all of them are Dungeon Defender variants. There's Dungeon Defense, Dungeon Defender 1, Dungeon Defender 2, and then they just said they're working on another one right now. Dungeon Defender. Yeah, was it? Is it called Dungeon Defenders Three, or is it like a? I, like, I think it has it a like, different name. They're like because they're trying to make it like a um, live service thing, where it's just it's just Dungeon Defenders, whatever name it is, and it's going to be yeah. just going to keep updating that one particular yeah. something, something like that. Basically, which is they technically have already semi started that with Dungeon Defenders Two, it being like a live service because it will mm -hmm. change. Like, they have a big old hub that'll change depending on what season in or what big holiday, and they do. It's not even. It's, it's kind of cool. Hold on, before I get into all that, let me finish them. They are based out of Gainesville, Florida. Then all their games are self-funded, which is pretty cool. They haven't really got any outside help. They've done most of it themselves, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, they've been around, like I said, uh, the company itself has been around since December 14th, 2009. And they are uh, 30 people run this or help this company run and you have two main fellows uh you have a gentleman named augie lie and then jeremy steeg stieglitz s-t-i-e-g-l-i-t-z stieglitz or stieglitz like i said they've had a colorful past because originally they were called trendy entertainment and they mm. in 2010 they made dungeon defense which only took them four weeks to make and they kind of just plopped it out real quick and then in 2011, they were able to make quite a bit more uh, umph with Dungeon Defenders 1, where they took everything they learned from Dungeon Defense and just perfected it, essentially. Actually, before I get too much into that, the... Uh, do, you, do you know where you're going? Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like talking about the company, but the game, so people aren't confused, they are... Uh, essentially, what do you call those? They're tower defense games, but they're also mobile. Because like, anytime you have a, a tower defense game, you have the bad guys and the good guys are trying to get to a, a portal or a crystal. And you have all the lanes and it all pre-maps what the enemies are going to do. And then you have the waves of enemies that come down. And depending on what game you're playing or like what difficulty you're playing it has like ooh the waves are on a timer or you can trigger the waves whenever you're ready or the waves are on a timer and you can trigger the wave early if you're set up properly but it allows you in between each wave to place your defenses heal your defenses or even upgrade or if you realize one of them's not cutting it it's like you can go inspect it and see how many kills it has or whatever and if it has like one kill you like oh this is useless over here and then like you know basically you're just rebuilding and re structuring 
your stuff. And that's basically, it's a tower defense game, but it's instead of it being a top-down view where you're just placing towers, it's a third-person, like, behind-the-back thing because you, you are the character you're playing as, playing, placing your type of, uh, of towers as well as combating the the monsters similar to like orcs must die those are real real close to the same thing um anyway like i said earlier dungeon defense came out in 2010 in just four weeks and then a little while later was dungeon defenders 1 in 2011 now in the midst of two of dungeon defenders 1 being a relatively large success for what it was a a venture capital company called insight venture partners uh bought a majority shareholder, majority shares of them for like $600,000. Was it for the Dungeon Vendors Company? Mm-hmm. Because they were small times. So they bought them. And are they even worth that much? Oh, they're worth quite a bit now. They're worth a lot now. I didn't know Dungeon, Dungeon Vendors was that popular. Yeah, they bought them for, so, so what did I say, $600,000. and Well, they bought majority shares, I guess. Yeah. Which a company? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how all that stuff works, but they bought a bunch of them, <laughs> which led to uh, stress in the company because now they weren't their own bosses anymore. They had to answer to shareholders and stockholders and have meetings and stuff. And uh, one of the founders, the Jeremy... Uh, Steiglitz said that they were that we're interested. I just want to make video games. Yeah, ah. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it said they said we're interested in video games, and because when they bought the company, they said they're just interested in the profit of video games. They wanted to make video games, but they didn't care how development work or understand how development work. You can't just plop out a game. And it caused uh, so much stress and like excessive work hours and stuff. Mm-hmm. And to the point, it's, it's funny that uh, I think it got to this guy more, the Steiglitz, because he ha- he he's the one who got who has gotten in a lot of trouble with as the as the company. Because in 2013, after a, uh, a a Kotaku investigation, I'm not entirely sure, how, but it says Kotaku inve- investigated due to anonymous claims from the company. So they went in and some investigated some stuff, and they found um like you know sexism in the workplace, of course, uh, excessive work hours, uh, unethical rules and yeah. regulations and stuff inside the company. And so that was in 20. 20- 13 and when all this came out uh it said that the person responsible for for all the the person who was making them work the hours and the person making the sexist comments and uncomfortable touching was the Jeremy Steiglitz, the guy who was so against the company being bought in the first place. And so once he did that, in order to placate everything, um, Augie Lai, the other co-founder, said that he doesn't believe he doesn't believe that his friend would do something like that, and maybe people are just mad because they're having to catch up on some deadlines. And so to try to appease everybody, he literally sp- he split the company in half. He told Steiglitz to go over here to an internal development company called Nom Nom Games. He said anyone who has a problem with him doesn't have to go. People who don't have a problem with him can go and we're just going to split the company that way. So it became a much smaller team of people who people went with him. And people, yeah, they separated. And they primarily worked on a game called Monster Madness and it was an online sort of game. Yeah, never heard of it. And anyway, come August, that was in 2013. All that happened in 2013. The investigation, the split, 
everything. And they're still working on trying to create Dungeon Defenders 2. They're still working on that as their primary thing. Now, August uh, 2014, uh, the uh, the Stiglitz guy decided to leave because he, uh, they, he, they weren't getting enough push for his game. He's like, you guys are just trying to push me out anyway, so screw you guys. I'm leaving. And, and he completely left. Just boom. Screw you guys. Deuces. I'm out. Yeah. And part of his contract for leaving was a non-compete clause. You know, all these big corporations things. You can't compete or share secrets with anybody for X amount of years. So he left in August. Now, in September of 2014, he co-founded Wildcard, which are the people responsible for Ark Survivor. Oh, really? But he did it as a shadow creator. where He funded them a whole bunch of money, but didn't actually put himself on any of the documents or anything like that. And so he well scratch that he was considered he was hired on as a consultant is what is what is what the the all the paperwork said he was a consultant not a founder not a co-founder he was just simply a consultant but then upon investigation uh, where he was within the company and he had an office he had all this stuff he's not a consultant and so they followed the money and realized he was getting paid well and so the still they're called trendy entertainment. And the Insight Venture Partners, so the two of them, sued him for $600 million of breach of contract. $600 million they sued him for. Why would, why would, why would, why would they think this guy has $600 million? It's, it's a it's lawyer speak. It's a big scare. Uh, they ended up settling out of court in 2016 for just uh, $40 million. This guy has $40 million lying around? Apparently. Dungeon Defender's big. Dungeon Defender's and Ark. I know Ark and is... And Wall Card. So he had... I mean, he, See, he, I only dabbled... I barely played... We played the first game kind of through this campaign, and then I we barely dabbled in Ark. I mean, it was a, Brian, you're... Brian played more art. He said he played a crap ton of art. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know its community. I don't know how big it is or where, how it how it's how it's financially. But geez, this guy has forty million dollars lying well, around. The other thing, because first and foremost, he breached contract. He immediately within a month. So he paid forty million, or is Wildcard paying forty million? He is paying forty million. Now, there's no way. There's no game developer that isn't like Hideo Kojima or somebody like that that has forty million dollars. Like I said, maybe I'm say Hideo has forty million lying around. Come on. I don't know. But they maybe they sued him and the company. But the thing that triggered it most was he was also poaching their help. Not only did he break the contract, was he was poaching and luring away their employees on purpose to make their company like he was a key player. She's like, "Come on, guys, I'll pay you more than they're paying you." And that's what made them really mad, which made them go after him so hard. The breach of contracts, whatever, but the the stealing of the employees and company information. So that didn't it, it that did not go well for him at all. And all that was in 2016, and then 2019, they decided to rebrand themselves as Chromatic Games and finally put out Dungeon Defenders 2. They waited to all that mess was that's, not, that's not his team though no no this is um he's, back still, to he's still a wild card mm-hmm. he's still a wild card they announced something new recently but this is all the way back to where now we're just augie lie the single ceo or whatever now amongst his 30 people they rebranded and one cool thing is with i don't know how he did it but it says it didn't it didn't specify the amount but it says that he was able to buy out the company's position from insight venture partners so he bought back all the shares and became sole owner. And all the other place cared about was getting money. Yeah, but he was able to buy back everything and become themselves again and focus on doing what they wanted to do instead of just... Because while they were doing all that stuff, they were like forced to do like mobile games and a bunch of crap, but like as solo... Each each person within the company was given, hey, you're a solo developer, make this game, make this game, make us money. Yeah. And it just... And that was too hard to track Shotgunning down. Shotgunning apps into the freaking darkness yeah. and hoping money comes back. And that was too difficult to tra- find all that. Now, the only issue 
is when he took over, it says that work conditions and everything really weren't much better. Everything kind of, yay, we're we're back to where we were. And then he took over as the sole boss. And then everything just fell back to literally the exact same way it was. Excessive work hours, uh, you know, using fake incentives to get people. And when they finally cash in the incentives, it was like a quarter of what was promised. And he's like, because I got to divide amongst it. You know, it was not good. Sounds like both dudes were kind of trashy. Kind of trashy, yeah. They got ruined I mean, we by... Don't, we, don't, we don't know them, obviously, but it mm-hmm. sounds like they're both not good people. Yeah. I mean, like, and that's, uh, as of 2019, with the rebranding and everything, it just says uh, that he, after the buyout, he, work conditions weren't much better. Maybe there's less sexism and, and stuff, but there are still excessive work hours. Yeah. They, like I said, they have a long, sorted path, which upsets me, because I like, I genuinely enjoy as their games. goofy and bright and silly as Dungeon Defenders is, yeah. you would. <laughs> they're bright, silly, and happy. You think the people who are making it were just having a having little, a blasty little. blast of fun. They're not. Okay, what do you remember about Dungeon Defenders 1, at the very least? Just being a tower defense game, really. I know, I think I played as a little sword guy. Knight. Little knight guy. Uh, nothing in particular too special about it, honestly, being like a... Because there was an abundance back then of... Uh, was this 360 days? Fuck this. I think 360 was definitely for the Dungeon Defenders 1. Yeah, 360 days was... Uh, it was like a weird abundance of uh, tower defense. Like it, it kind of hit like how like roguelikes have kind of hit these recent days are now coming up as the auto bat like vampire survivors. I'm starting to see more and more of those in the store. Yeah, all over the but place. But like uh, there was a, a a thing like when like orcs must die and a couple other things that hit it all at the same time. There was a bunch of uh, tower defense. It was just really just a co-op thing for us to play together. We tried to get a few other friends playing with us and stuff on and off again. I think did Daniel play one time with this maybe? He might. I think Daniel. Garrett may have played with this once or twice as well. Yeah, we tried to get, try to draw people into it, but it was kind of nobody ever. We got into it. We we I know we played through the entire campaign, and then it kind of like peters off after the campaign in the first game. But you're just running around. You have a little. You have a, you play different classes a lot. Because in the in the first game, there was just four. There was a monk. A huntress, a wizard, or wizard's apprentice rather, and a, a knight. Knight, yeah. I just stuck with a knight. And I played as the wizard. Yeah. And you know, for them in the first game, oh, you pick a character and that's who you are for the whole fight. You don't get to, you, you get him and you get that person and only their towers. And of course, we, did, they, did they have unique towers in the front? I don't remember. They have unique towers. They had unique towers. Like some of them were similar, mm-hmm. but they were because like well, just we'll go with just the knight and the wizard. Everyone had four tower abilities, and then each of them had an ability that you know, like a big mega magic ability or something. Or I think for the the knight, he would just like uh, spin, spin and stuff like that. Yeah. But for the towers, like they both had a shield. Like there was an arcane shield that was incredibly weak, but. Because it was so weak, it took so, so much of the energy. You could place them all over the place, like three or four back to back. The knight also had a, a, a shield, but it was like a spike barricade. Mm-hmm. And it would hurt enemies and do thorn damage. So he was, boom, That's making cool. damage. And then the wizard would have a, like a, a fireball thing, which is really just like a cone of fire flamethrower. I think he'd have a lightning uh, tower, which is basically a Tesla core, just a big old AOE mm-hmm. effect. I think, I had cro- I think I had crossbows. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, crossbows and then you had crossbows, the training dummy, and the cannonballs. Well, they were ballistas, not crossbows, but they were ballistas. Because okay. they could they could hit uh, flying enemies as well. Sure. And then, for like I said, for the, the mage, there was a f- cone of fire, the Tesla core light- lightning thing, which is AOE and then a an ice tower which was literally like took a 180 degree thing in front of it. it was incredibly weak but it would slow enemies down 
and that was the primary thing. Which is pretty much pretty important in the scheme of things. Oh, yeah. And then each character, like I said, it gets much more complicated with the monk and the huntress because they were more attack-based with very minor towers. Mm -hmm. It's like basically the knight and the wizard were easy mode, and then hunter and monk were like intermediate and hard. But this is kind of like just a rundown of some of that. We we played it quite quite a bit. We played a long time, actually. I wonder if I could pull up my... Make Make it tracks? My TA, and probably not. Wow, I definitely played a, a long time, but it says I only got one achievement. Yeah, me too. What the what hell? What the devil? Well, there's beating everything on, like, difficulty. Yeah, that was not very forgiving on the achievements. They think that's another reason why we stopped playing it. Because it'll beat all levels on the highest difficulty. Beat all yeah, challenges got, on our difficulty. Yeah, the last time I played was February... 6 in 2014 apparently yeah one achievement likewise and that was beating all the levels on any difficulty setting yeah. that's probably why we stopped playing it yeah, so we, beat, we beat all the levels yeah at least once that was the end of that mess Golly, that sucks. Yeah, that so, was a, that was an arcade game. It was only worth two hundred scores. Yeah, so that's another reason why we probably didn't put a lot of effort into it. And that's all Dungeon Defenders One. Now Dungeon Defenders Two took a lot of that stuff, put all that stuff, and, and just it, and I didn't play this and made it better. Now Dungeon Defenders Two is a free to play slash and maybe live service. Where it, and the cool thing is, like I said, they're based out of Gainesville, Florida, but they hit every holiday. Doesn't matter if it's the Chinese New Year or you know, like Yom Kippur and stuff like that. Like they <laughs> they hit they hit like every holiday that comes up. They try to do something, you know, at least for the major ones. Not every holiday, but at least all the major holidays around the world. And so they change, of course, for like Halloween, Christmas, and Thanksgiving and all that stuff. And that also comes with all these different uh, cosmetics, costumes, and add-ons to your character and little emotes. And and whatnot. So they have all this huge live service and you can spend money and you can make yourself better, but there is no competitive element, I don't think. So there is no like why would there be? There's no so there's no like fight you go fight another person. I don't think that'd be very fun. You can get into duels with people and but I don't think as far as I can remember and stuff, I don't think there's any actual PvP sort of elements. Now there's like uh the competitive thing where like you and it's like group of four, group of four, and they battle the same amount of waves and do a you know a competition like I guess it's competition yeah and there's that but a majority of the stuff is cosmetics and I didn't spend a cent now the cool thing is when the game starts it's free to play and you're given the four starter characters and the, the game itself t- takes place like I think three or four years after the end of the first one so you actually get to play for a story yeah for whatever story there actually is and so you get your main four you get the squire the wizard's apprentice the huntress and the monk you get all of them for free as your fr- part of your free to play thing and now since then they have added a bunch of other classes and some of them are, are just copies of these other ones but with like different elements because you have the knight but then you also have the the countess who's like the female version but she has slightly different towers and abilities and then you have the the monk but then you have the adept which is the female monk uh, but she also has different abilities and different towers and so on and so forth and there is a total of there are 16 classes now i'm not going to i'm not going to go through all of them but some of them are easy enough like i said some of them are just copies like the inept inept and yeah initiate my bad you have initiate <laughs> and adept that's yeah. the but it's like the the adept is the female mage the initiate it's is cheap the cheap carbon copies well with slight changes but then they go like bonkers and have like a dryad the lava mancer the abyss lord which is really just cthulhu who i wanted to play as so bad but you don't you get in game currency from but it, you get so little of it 
to tempt you to spend money. And I refuse to spend money on these free-to-play games. I just, I don't. Mm-hmm. You played it enough to warrant at least one purchase, didn't you? Probably, but I spent 30 hours in the game. Mm-hmm. And I got all the achievements but one. One ridiculous one. One ridiculously long-winded thing that is like, oh kill a thousand of these like special elite enemies but you have you or your towers have to do it you can't play with other people which is stupid considering that the whole point of this game is to play online co-op so why wouldn't all of our kills count per fight but it doesn't and then other people have been saying what's dumb about it is that like you've literally got every other achievement but that one in in half the time oh yeah i got i I had every achievement but that one in like 15 hours or, or earlier, faster even. And, but it's, and some people are saying that there's something wrong with the achievement. Like there's like a dozen, like the achievement says a thousand, but other people are like, yeah, like I've had to kill like 10,000. Like there's something wrong with. There's probably, probably an in-game lit number somewhere that you could see in your stats. Yeah, there's like a, some something wrong with like the decimal in how, the achievement triggering or something. Like, yeah, it says a thousand, but it doesn't trigger after a thousand of these kills. And the other thing that also sucks too is how these elite enemies work is you could go through a full, what is it, like five or eight waves, and you might get between one and two per wave of these elite enemies. That's another thing that takes so long to do. What can you play on higher difficulties to increase the amount of elites? By like one or two percent, you might get an extra one. But the other thing is, if you want it, you have to play by yourself. Because if someone else gets the kill, or their tower gets the kill, then you don't get it. So like this whole that whole achievement completely negates the whole point of the game, which is to be online and cooperative yeah. with other people. That's like, it's insane they haven't fixed it. Yeah, and that, that's like I say, I I've played a bunch. This is my easy wind down game, and I can just sit back and play. I I just it's simple. It's mindless. Well, now that I'm I'm much stronger than I used to be, I can like I can solo like elite rank maps and stuff like by myself to get some of these, which I've done. I've just I've just I literally set up my stuff and then I'll pull out my Switch or my DS and play on it while the waves go because it's all on a timer. Like I can make the waves come quicker and stuff or I can just let it activate it, play and just do my thing and when the fight's over pick up my treasures hit replay do the setup and then just wait again and I've done it but I'm trying to think uh, you're tired of playing it by now ain't you I mean you a you, little you bit got, you kind of got everything you want to get out of it except for that one achievement if I'm not sure if I'm ever getting it. after we after I do this after doing this episode and talking about it I honestly may just go delete it just to get it off your thing just to get it off my console and clear up space because if I if I have to sit down and pick something to play I, I enjoy this a lot but the initial set up is it takes a minute and it takes so long it's it's easier to turn on it's a lot easier slay the spire slay the spire or my personal favorite vampire survivors which uh we might talk about that at some point yeah it, well you, you have all the achievements i don't you keep yeah, you I, continuously clean up the achievements yeah i haven't i've turned it on like once or twice to see if there's any sort of update because the last big update for vampire survivors was uh was co-op mm-hmm. i think but i try to drag you into doing co-op with me and helping me get my, all my achievements I'll, I'll gladly do it you have yeah. I, I enjoy it yeah I have like 120 hours in Vampire Survivors <laughs> plus. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on another episode. But yeah, it's just the ease of turning it on. Like this, I, you have to turn it on, log on, go into my hub. Well, because you have like the general hub where everybody's hanging out and emo dancing, emote dancing, or which I don't care for any of that nonsense. So I just yeah, private yeah. and I just go straight into my tavern, my personal hub, where you can bring, you can invite people in there and they go, oh, look at your stuff. But it's this, everyone's is the same. It's not like I can decorate it or anything, which seems a little lame and then all the service things in there which require in-game currency or like the in-game equivalent to real world money currency and Mm -hmm. stuff like that i'm just like "Ah, 
I haven't. I'm not trying to like mid max the game and stuff like that. I just want to have yeah, fun. Other, other games to play. Exactly. I'd rather rather have spent ten bucks on it, yeah, which probably will be spent on the original. Probably. Game. I'd rather have just spent ten bucks on it and had a blast with it than all this. Which cool. They got to make money, and I understand. But also, I mean, you've been around since the company. What I say, the company's been around since 2009, and they've made three games, working on a fourth, and are somehow able to have the amount of money that they have just through all these kids and impatient people. It's like, ooh. Let me buy this brand new character because it looks really cool, but I don't want to wait here. Let me go ahead and drop like 50, 60, 80, 100 dollars to buy to go ahead and get this character from level one to max level and buy all these really cool cosmetics for it. And I'm just like, that's ugh, that's just no thank you. I, I, I mean, because this could be the only game someone plays. I could see that. You got to be the, the type of people too that literally will buy a character, like, oh, I don't like that character, and then like, yeah, that, and they just drop it. Yeah, well, in, in, in their mind, like, I just spent five dollars, not that big. Yeah. Deal. Hundreds, thousands of people mm-hmm. just dropping money in that company's bank just because they can look at a character for a second. Because impatient, they want to. Yeah, I think the term is live service, right? Or almost. It's I'm, not, it's I'm, not a, I'm a little uh, un, completely unclear on what live service. Like, like the king of live service, I've, it would be Fortnite because Fortnite's constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Other games have claimed to be live service, but nothing has ever changed on the scale that Fortnite changes. Like we have a, we have a. We, I, don't think, I don't think it's out yet, but we're talking about Division. The Division Heartland is supposed to be live service. Maybe, um, what's the game with the from Titanfall people? Uh, Apex no, might Apex, be live service. But I don't think Apex, I don't know. I don't keep track of these things very well. I only hear about Fortnite. I also don't care podcast. about that genre. No, live, I mean, I don't care. Live service, live service is the point is to keep you freaking playing forever, and I don't have time for that. There's too many games out there to play one game forever. The end. Yeah, yeah. But uh, before we, I think I'll... F- finish here in just a second yeah because it's got about i think 10 or 11 overworld maps like it was broken into like chapters you have like the dragonfall town then the dragonfall castle did you beat everything i believe uh i believe so you beat every map maybe maybe not necessarily solo but when i would do because you can go in there and you can search for things for public matches and i would join in people who were like equal to my level or usually praying that they're on a higher level level than me and they already have everything set up i just come in there and pretend like i'm doing things just to rake in really high tier equipment and stuff like that but like i said each each of the overworld things are broken into like four smaller maps and you go through and they've added there's also like three special maps that are like boss specific and stuff like that but they've added a couple of things there's a big old there's a wild west area there's a on the high seas with like a bunch of boats on the ocean where it's connected through um you know walking planks and stuff like that and then there's just a bunch like some underground uh, and like a graveyard and stuff like that for the halloween thing like oh this is really cool it's expanding to make more but i genuinely do enjoy enjoy it but uh it's just th- that last achievement irks me so much that i might just wash my hands of it yeah maybe this talk about on the podcast Podcast can be your final little let go, goodbye for it. Just wash your hands of it, probably. Because I've, like I said, I've put thirty plus. Uh, I put exactly, I think twenty nine and a half, thirty hours into it, and that's more than enough. Especially if that's just just free time. That's not me like you know. I might dedicate one Saturday a month or something like morning, mm-hmm. one Saturday morning a month or one late at night thing. I was like, oh, I'm in between. I just beat this game. I was like, eh, you know. And Dungeon Vendors was my game until I did Vampire Survivors. <laughs> And like you said, Slay the Spire and stuff that's just much more easily picked up and put down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add. That's all right. Any questions or anything? Like, no. I would, I'm, when, even, even when you started playing it, I think you might have asked me if I was interested in playing it too. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it again. The, 
one one thing I do want to note is like there's a the, there's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest differences actually between Dungeon Finders One, Dungeon Finders Two, and I probably should have said that earlier. The reason that there's so many characters is because you have a thing now called a hero deck, which is in the first one you pick a character and that's what you play through the, through the entire map, all five waves, eight waves, ten waves. With your hero deck, you're given four heroes, just a quick tap on your D pad, up, down, left, right, triangle, start, uh, or you know just whatever of the directions on the d-pad is you could switch between one of the four characters and then have access to all of them so you could have one you could place their different towers and they stay there mm-hmm. just hot swap them between characters hot swap between characters so you could just you could cover weaknesses and stuff like oh the wizard is really powerful but his shield is terrible also another another game mechanic that negates the idea of the of point, co-op of co-op and yeah. the whole point of it I, I, it's cool to have the option there for people who don't want to play with other people I guess but it kind of you're yeah. kind of building a way for people but not like, to play together four seems excessive okay, maybe, two maybe two let me grab let me grab two but four was a bunch and then of course people always would because for me i love playing as the wizard and i really like playing as the huntress because especially if i was in one i would join other people's games my main thing because they're they're long range and i would tend to just stay with the huntress because even when you would put down her traps they were so uh, the energy required and stuff like that for the overall total were so minuscule that i could place a whole bunch of traps and how she worked is her traps were like you know one two three times and then they, they they're done they explode they're like mines or little electric traps or water traps ice traps and but they would trigger and then disappear and so that the the amount because you had a set amount of the of stuff that you could sit on each level mm-hmm. which was part of the strategy of what to place or where to place it but her stuff would run out and i just like use because i throw a bunch of mines like literally I'll, like one whole lane i would just mine 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 so things were just exploding constantly as there and i was standing at the, at the front just shooting my bow and then when the thing was over i just replace all my mines you know and so I, I found that fun that's cool mm-hmm. did you play anything before we move on did you play anything outside of the four starter classes? I wanted to uh, but I was like and I thought I was like it's just five dollars in my head I'm like it's just so five dollars every, every character was five dollars it's something like, five. between like five and ten I forget the, like the brand new character of course would be like eight or ten and then I don't really know what it mathed out to but it was enough for me to go I'm good well you're frugal definitely big time when it comes to that kind of we just don't, we just don't play I've free never games. Never purchased Spent anything money on like a mobile game, a gotcha game, or yeah, something like this. No, I won't. Um, like I said, do you have any other questions before we move on to our next nah. game? I, was, I wasn't terribly interested in it to do it, do it all again. But you put a lot of time with it, and it's a good thing to talk about. It. Some good, good stuff out of it. I don't know if I, I wouldn't play another one. Like if it's Dungeon Defenders three or whatever, whatever else they got coming out, I'll I play it. I wouldn't be. I know you will. Cause it'll probably continue to be free. Well, more than anything to help support their horrible workplace. <laughs> Dude, like you know, you guys put in all keep, this effort. Keep their me, long hours going. Yeah, you guys put in all this effort. Let me at least play the game. I'm not gonna spend money on it. Screw you guys and your time. Um, but I think that about wraps that one up. Mm-hmm. So the next game, while you're talking about that, I tried desperately to pull it up on my PlayStation app so I can get any kind of list of trophies or any kind of anything. And I can't figure out how to search for a specific game in your trophies on the PlayStation app. The PlayStation app is not very good. Uh, I played this game a long, long, long time ago, <laughs> like before the podcast, even back then. I was excited about it. It's a, I forget the developer's name because I talked about it so long. Uh, no, before we do that. Do you want to talk about say, say the name of the game? Well, yeah. We, we, usually I let you introduce it, but the game is I Am Setsuna.
Canada. It was developed by uh, Tokyo RPG Factory. So it was exciting when that company was first announced. I let Blake talk about the company because it's a Square, it's Square Enix, and they've ve- you know got so far from what they were beforehand when it comes to turn-based RPGs and just RPGs in general. Square's got so far from that. But when they announced they'd open a, a side company called Tokyo RPG Factory, and they're going to be doing like turn-based and classic-style games, everybody was very excited. But all they've churned out uh, so far is like three or four very mediocre RPGs and everybody's been kind of like middling. I've only played the first one. They have they have three that I know of. Blake might happen to have a new one on his list of more current notes, but I've only played only played Setsuna. Uh, didn't beat it. Uh, we have their second game, a hard copy of it for some reason, and then uh, their third game I never got around to. It, it even switched off of uh, their third game, even switched away from uh, turn-based combat, so they even t- we, it went even further away from what people wanted from that, what we thought we were getting from that company. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you get into it. So yeah, so I, again, I played this forever ago, and Blake played it a year or two after I did and still a long time ago. Yeah, very much so, yeah. At this yeah. point in time, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, as we said earlier, it's I Am Setsuna, which uh, worldwide came out all at once on, you know, the Vita, Windows, Switch, PS4. Not on Xbox, for whatever reason, but yeah. You know, Who knows? That's a square thing. Yeah. They're just now, like, recently, I'm like, we're going to try to repair our relationship with the Xbox, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, exclusives are stupid, but I get it. Anyway, that's a whole other hour-long conversation. I Am Setsuna was originally released uh, July 19th, 20. 2016, and it is the debut game for Tokyo RPG Factory. Uh, they are a Square Enix subsidiary. They consist of only 10 employees, and uh, they have made three games thus far. So, so they haven't announced a fourth one yet? Uh, the, uh, when I looked into it, it says planning for a fourth one was started in 2019, after their third game had came out, but I don't see anything else on it. It's weird, because they, they could have a game out by now. You would think, but there, there's the whole world thing that happened, and... I wonder if they've made them work on other stuff. Maybe. Because like I said, it's just 10 people. Yeah. There's no news of dissolving the, that company. Everything says they're still they're still active and doing their own thing. But um, real quick, let me kind of just talk about them for a little bit. The Tokyo RPG Factory. Uh, they, they were founded in 2014, and they're based out of Shinjuku, Tokyo. And they said so they've made just the three games. Now, what's crazy is they've made just the three games, They uh, which is I Am Satsuna, Lost Sphere, and Oni Naki. Mm-hmm. According to their net income, uh, that company is worth uh, 515 million yen, which I don't know what that translates into American money, but that I is... I don't think that's a lot, but... That's still I mean, pretty good for 10 people. For 10 people, yeah. That's pretty fantastic yeah. for the, you know... And pretty good for games that nobody talked about. Unfortunately, yes. Like, less and less. Like, everybody was stoked about Sasuna, cared less about after that. I won't call it a debacle, because it's a playable game. And then Lost Fear, nobody talked about at all, and then Oninaki was, like, completely off the freaking radar. Yeah. And like I said, each Each one went... Because they said that the whole point was they wanted to draw inspiration and developed uh, from the titles of the Golden Age of RPGs. Which, Golden Age of RPGs means one thing. Chrono Trigger. That's the only thing that means. Unfortunately. And that's exactly what this entire game was based off. This combat was based off the, the Chrono Trigger style. Yeah. We'll say it here. I've said it before. It's an RPG that I cannot get through. People keep talking about Chrono Trigger being the greatest RPG of all time. The greatest this, greatest that. I've tried it myself a couple of times and uh i've tried so many variants so many different versions so many everything and i just cannot i don't know what people see in chrono trigger i just don't we we talked about pockets before every you know games aren't every game isn't for everybody i think me and blake were more playstation era rpgs where where we kind of pick like where our love and stuff like that is super nintendo it 
It's not. RPGs mean it means nothing. I've tried. I've played it on PlayStation. I even played it on PlayStation. I played the, the people say the best current versions. The D, we we have the DS version. I've tried playing it again on the DS version. I get to a certain point and I just wander off and I just I just, and it leaves my brain. And I don't ever come back. I don't know. Another podcast people talk about the story and the characters and how cool and how great everything it, is. I'm just like nobody talks in this game. I think yeah, it's a lot of them putting it on the characters or maybe their own little head cannon. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, maybe it's late game talking, but there's massive parts of the game that I've played, the beginner parts of the game. On a game that's not very long. It's a game that I've never beat because I get too freaking bored. A game that like I know has like however many endings you can play a lot, mm-hmm. but to get a single ending to get a fight through is not very long. I can't make it. Yeah. And I don't know what story people are talking about. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the whole Chrono Trigger thing right now. Like I'm getting, getting I get ramped up about it because it, it annoys me because it's on everybody's best RPG ever list and everybody's drool been drooling on it for years i just i feel nothing when i play chrono trigger and, it, and, it, and that's what everybody said like when you talk about i am satsuna and people were talking about like right now was uh uh what's that game it was another rpg come out recently not sea of stars was those sea of stars i think has chrono trigger influences mm-hmm. but before sea of stars there was another one something god i can't remember what it's freaking called i don't know but anyway uh it'll, it'll come it'll come to me here in a minute but uh yeah so chrono, so the golden age of era of rpgs they call it that and i think it's literally just chrono trigger yeah, I don't know. I, people might throw Final Fantasy five and six in that area as well. But people are strictly five, people six. are strictly talking about Chrono Trigger as the golden age of RPGs. One game that I can't stand. And I I have tried to play it at least twice, and I've gotten further each Chained time. Chained Echoes. That's the game. Chained Echoes. I, know, I, know, I, mean, that made, I thought they made a pretty decent splash when it first no, came. Chained out. Echoes has done really well. It's, it, people love it, but it, it it also harks back to it. It has Chrono Trigger influences in it, which. Every pixel art game like that is going to have that in it. Well, it just means like, you know, whatever, 8-bit, 16-bit. Yeah, whatever. But, whatever. but Chained Echoes and then now Sea of Stars, which we're going to have an episode about Sea of Stars eventually because me and Blake um, are part of the Kickstarter for that uh, that that game for whatever. I don't remember why we initially did it. We'll, we'll talk about that on, on, on another on a, another episode. Yeah. Well, um, anyway, so Golden well, Age is Chrono Trigger. Yeah, Chrono Trigger and early entries of the Final Fantasy series, according to this. Five and six. It's the same era, five and six. Yeah. But anyway, two more games I've never played. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I've never actually made it to. I've played a lot of older Final Fantasy. You, you've beat one through four, right? Uh, I've beat one, one, two, and four. Two, four. I haven't beat three. I've turned on five and six several times. Yeah, but never beat yeah. them. Anyway, I don't know Golden why. Age, Chrono yeah. Trigger. Anyway, we we prefer Chrono Cross, which most yeah. people hate. Yeah, I love Chrono Cross, but anyway, it's <laughs> all right. So, like I said, the game the. Tokyo RPG Factory was originally founded in 2014. Now, th- what happened was a lot of stuff that happened at Square Enix around that time was the, uh, what do you call him? The president, Yuchi Wada, stepped down. And another gentleman, uh, Yusuke Masuda, uh, stepped up. And he was promoted into the position. And he wanted to steer the company to ha- towards a more individual identity and having more more things like what they used to have. Well, never because Square lost its identity. Yeah. For years. Mm-hmm. You know, after like the pretty much when the change into Square Enix, and you started seeing them publish freaking everything. When their name started popping up, when you see them, you go like you go to a GameStop when we were kids, and Square starts popping up on like My Little Pony and, and like Barbie games and other whatever what, you know. And you're like you you're you're you're, you're taking away from what your, your what your name means. Like you you, yeah. you think Japanese? I don't I don't know how to say without being racist. I'm not trying to be racist, but the Japanese people they have a they have a lot of honor or what a lot of respect for a name means so much. Yeah. Yeah. 
to Japanese culture. Like your name, you are this family. You mean so much. And that square square soft name meant a lot. Yeah, Enix but so did Enix. Meant Enix, did, Enix meant a lot too. Somehow when they combined, it got weird. But then, but it wasn't until Square Enix when you started seeing their name pop up on all this other random crap. As a publisher, and eventually yeah. in, in like Tomb Raider, like they when, when they bought uh, Eidos and they started having Tomb Raider games, and we're just like, you've gotten so far from your identity of what of who you were. Yeah. And it was just crazy. And you're talking about Bernard Aaron. So maybe that guy, I'm guessing that guy, I didn't follow their history of like who was running their company. I guess this guy was trying. This is right back here. Back to the roots. Uh, he wanted to, was it more an individual identity for products and amidst rising production costs and changing and a change in consumer demands. So during the time, the discussions were held for about internal, setting up groups internally within the company to focus on creating new games inspired by different themes, art, and game designs of RPGs during the golden age of RPGs, including Chrono Trigger and the early entries of the Final Fantasy series. Uh, this move was also a position to be more aimed towards Western audiences. Is was what is what the hope was to try to make more. Well, the Western audiences is the action based, all the action based games. Yeah. But anyway, he um, what's his face Masuda. It says he spearheaded the initiative and went around their corporate policies and stuff, and would send out like memos and was like, "Hey, who wants to do this? Who is comfortable?" And he's like, "We're not going to fire you, but who's willing to do this?" And so he created a small scale uh, studio, which is Tokyo RPG Factory, and he would he literally sent out an invite. He's are like, they, "Are these? And you're talking about are these?" Are any of these people who worked on Final Fantasy or Chrono Trigger? Every single one of these members worked for Square Enix. Okay, but, but are they? I don't know. I don't know. They're key I, don't, I don't know. Key member? Or are they just a scattering of members? They're a scattering teams? of members. Because yeah. he said he went in across everybody in Square Enix and anyone they knew that was freelance or in between jobs. Mm-hmm. And... Only ten people showed up because they're scared. Because they, yeah, they're scared <laughs> of doing something. Scared doing something. Square. We talked about Square before. What they have two, two, five, two or three hundred, hundred employees they have like a that. Bunch, bunch. So like, if ten show up that aren't, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, I'll take a swing. <laughs> and they, they founded it under the name Tokyo Dream Factory, and, Factory. and would create original titles with small budgets, and were given entire the entire creative freedom that they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And now it says like the following year they were they would go out to put out well two years later they would put out I am Satsuna pretty quick turnaround yeah well because also with the limited budget and all that stuff now the cool thing here is uh I'll talk about this kind of briefly is the first three games from uh Tokyo RPG Factory a come they have an inspiration for the Japanese concept called Setsu hold on let me make sure I pronounce this right you ha- it's either it's it's pronounced one of two ways Setsu Getsu Ka or Setsu Geka depending mm-hmm. on where you're from and how old using the herb terminology or the, or the or the modern terminology. Basically, yeah. what it is, it's the symbolization, and you see this a lot, and like once I read that, I was like, oh, you do see that a lot in Japanese art and stuff like that, paintings. Well, it, it basically, it is sun, moon, flowers, basically is what it translates to, and it is the, th- um, it's the theme of change. Sun, moon, flowers, which is winter, autumn, and spring. For some reason, it doesn't in- in- involve summer, which I think is kind of strange, mm-hmm. but the, it involves the seasons, winter, autumn, and spring. And you see them a lot in paintings where you would show someone's life and stuff and it's like you know basically you know birth life death and it's basically it's all that cycling on and so forth and each of these games represents a single piece of that now it's Setsuna is the winter piece yeah about death probably yeah death her, and her journey is about sacrifice death and to specifically uh let me pull it up because the game I am Setsuna the whole theme 
for uh, I am Setsuna is sadness, and that comes from the actual term. And you, you get that theme. You get that theme pretty right away. There's this, the whole. I think the whole game is covered in snow, and we'll get into it eventually. The uh, well, the, the main story is about she has to. I forget the, everything, but her her journey is to go sacrifice herself. Like her thing is she knows that she's going to die at the end of this journey. There's a lot of that in the sadness. Uh, what helps uh, add to that is I. If I remember correctly, the entire soundtrack is only piano, yes. which is done, which is done pretty cool. I remember, I remember enjoying like that. There's no other instruments. Like they just literally made a choice to do every, everything with just piano, even combat music and all that stuff. I, I don't think there's any other instruments. Blake, you might be able to correct me on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's two cool things. All the music was composed by one fella, uh, well, one person, uh, Tomaki Miyoshi. Mm-hmm. He, they composed all the music, but all the music was played by a a piano player called Randy Kerber, and he is a huge Hollywood. Yeah, I don't composer. want to side check because you're looking for something else. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to pull you away from what, what you were looking for a second ago. So we, can, we can talk about him in a minute. I was just, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm pointing out that there's a, a melancholy to the to the soundtrack as well. And uh, I say with, with melancholy, I wish I, I wish I liked the game a, game a lot more. Cause you can ask Blake or ask my wife. I love. I don't know what it is. I love sad stuff. I love a sad, incredibly sad song. Not like oh my my. My so so broke up with me, and I, I mean, I just love just general sad. I don't know what it is, maybe I love general sadness and uh, stuff like that. So I really would be super into like an incredibly sad game, I would think. But maybe it's because uh, maybe some of the the maybe the way the way the game looks sometimes doesn't portray the sadness, like the graphic stock. We hadn't talked about what the game looks like yet. It's not like a, a Final Fantasy graphics or anything like that, because it is a low budget company, but. Maybe uh, but uh, yeah, there is like a what do you say like a encompassing maybe sadness to it all, but it just wasn't it was wasn't ringing very like very true to me. Like I, I didn't really feel much for the characters, and I didn't really. And you're told about her sacrifice right away, so there's like no real surprise to her being a sacrifice. And I, I don't remember being drawn to any of the other characters or remember anybody else's story enough to like is there like beyond her beyond her sacrifices their you know sadness throughout the rest of the cast of characters. I don't remember none yeah. of that anyway. Yeah, sorry. I, I, it was like I should have wrote it down because I was, it was it was kind of hidden. But like, so the whole point of the game is sorrow, sadness, and like the end. Even to the point, uh, our main character Setsuna is named after the Japanese term, which is literally Setsunasa, which literally means sorrow in Japanese. And that hurt. That's the whole, the whole point of her character's name. It, it it says it holds a variety of meaning, but it genuinely means sadness or sorrow. And the name. Um, Setsuna is roughly translated to uh, her name. I am Setsuna is translated, and especially the Japanese characters is a um, where to go a moment of time that is sadness. Yeah, <laughs> is basically what the name translates to with the kanji and karkatana or whatever it's called. And so like, there's so much like because the whole point is the world is ending. Like we're in the winter, everything's dying off. Every, there's snow constantly, and uh, like I said, thematically the like Drew talked about the piano and stuff that gets put into this. It was all produced. Well, I'm pulling, pulling everything back up again. Like I said it was a uh, composer was Tamaki Miyoshi, and then all the he composed the music, and then all the music was played by a gentleman named Randy Kerber. Now this dude's out of California, and he is 
huge. Like, I don't even know how to, like, quantify it necessarily because I talk about composers and stuff. He's responsible for, uh, I'm just going to go, like, three big ones and call it quits there. But he's responsible for the best original score alongside Quincy Jones for The Color Purple. He's responsible for Titanic, A Beautiful Mind, the first three Harry Potter movies, as well as Forrest Gump. Like, how'd they get him? I don't know. It's also where the composer didn't play the music. Yeah. But, like, that dude, and he, it says, um, I, I didn't even say how they got him, but it says all, it was expo- performed exclusively on piano by that one guy, and that was it. <laughs> Which is crazy. That dude is, is awesome. Yeah. It's a high, high caliber pianist. Is, it, is he, is he, is he strictly a piano player, mm-hmm. mostly? Yeah. Is he as a composer himself? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's incredible, and I don't know who the hell, how they landed him. It's mind boggling. Now, there was one other thing because you mentioned you, you you asked earlier if anyone from um like other RPGs were of any of oh, note yeah any anyone of note the primary one is a uh, a, a Square Enix staff member named uh, Takashi Tokita he was allowed uh, to provide input at certain key moments of the game and what is it he is responsible for the Takashi Tokita is responsible for he is the director of Chrono Trigger Parasite Eve and Live Alive, which we've spoken about before. Mm-hmm. He is also the lead director for Final Fantasy IV. So he was allowed to be like, oh, you should do this, you should do this to make the it... director of Final Fantasy IV? Yeah. Well, he was lead designer for Final Fantasy IV and, and director for Live Alive, Chrono Trigger, and Parasite Eve. So they had the they had the director for Chrono Trigger working for Tokyo RPG Factory? No, he would come in as a consultant and tell them what they should do to make it feel like they're his game. Because he was he's still a member of Square Enix. So he was he was, he was the only consultant then? Okay. Yeah. Like you have, like, that's what you would call a caliber, you know, something like mm-hmm. this. Live Alive was very famous in Japan. It just now hit America, mm-hmm. you know, and then okay, obviously we talk about Chrono Trigger. Like, you have that guy just hanging around. Yeah, it says he, he provided creative input on the first two titles, but was allowed to take a creative role in Ononaki. I don't know what he did in Ononaki, but it says he worked, he actually worked on so the So they had somebody game. huge hanging around mm-hmm. to, to, to huge you know, in their industry. I mean, for them, like me, I understand his importance. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like Chrono Trigger and Live or Live, Live or Live was a little hit or miss for me. We've already talked about it. Yeah, we, we talked about it in the podcast. Dedicated. Yeah, a little dedicated to it. Something I might go back to maybe. Uh, it was kind of really hit or miss for me, so I don't know, but, but then, I understand his his importance to his, his company, yeah. who he is. Yeah, being a lead designer for Final Fantasy IV, which is... In a, four, yeah. And Parasite Eve. Yeah. Like, you're, you're completely negating yeah, Parasite missing, Eve. Well, I mean, I like Parasite yeah. Eve, but it's not as... It's not as big, I don't think, as the other the other stuff, you know? Now, um, okay, um, before we get like too far into it, the game, it is a turn-based RPG, but it has the Chrono Trigger-style combat where you are in a fight, but in like an arena, I guess, and you and your and the enemies move around inside this small arena in, in combat, which sometimes means that you can hit all the people at once or you can't. And you just kind of hope that your some of your all hitting area movies move yeah. splash damage. This seems like a version. This combat system it it's come it comes it comes and goes in games. It seems like a variant, or it would be. Or- it is the original version, but the variant of this combat system is Grandia's combat system. I've always preferred Grandia's combat system to, over this one. I've played multiple games with this system. You feel like you see it a couple of times between, well, obviously, Trigger and this game right here. And I feel like I've played other games that have a similar combat system, but you just don't see Grandia's. Uh, I don't get get to the you know the ins and outs of that combat system. It's somewhat similar, but I think it's a little more fun to play in, in Grandia, yeah. the whole Grandia franchise. It is it is ATB combat, mm-hmm. and, and Grandia's you, is more like a 
a timeline based thing, and you can knock enemies down the timeline. I, yeah, like, I like the I like timeline based things, which is still technically turn based, but timeline because like it's like with like the first one pops in my head is like ten, where you can you yeah. know ten doesn't like, but ten doesn't have the area effect stuff like Grandia has. No, now. that's true. So every you have a it's a three person party, and you have what is this, seven members to pick from. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you have Satsuna. She's your magic user, and she's the, her weapons like chakra. Uh, what do you call them? Chakras. Mm-hmm. Chakram, Zena, you know, they're in a little chakrams. <laughs> then you have Ender. Look, comparison to Zena, really. <laughs> it's there's some. She's more one. of a priestess. Zena's a warrior princess. Warrior princess, yeah. But then you have Ender, who's your big boy heavy hitter, yeah, like Orin. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He literally has a big old sword. Ender is awesome. Then you have Aetirna, who is like your secondary mage more of a an assassin then you have kier a, a lot of these have the hard r at the end ender kier nadir everybody's <laughs> up for Setsuna. yeah uh kier's a, a young boy mage he's your like your big boy mage he's your black mage versus your Setsuna being your white mage and I'll tell you now, I don't remember Nadir. What was Nadir? It's been so long since I played this, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, oh, is there a list of characters somewhere? I know you're almost always... Because Ender is kind of like... It literally is like Yuna and Auron. Like, she's on a quest, and Auron, and like Ender's her protector mm-hmm. to protect her so she can kill herself kind of thing. Uh, and that's only two characters I really remember off the top of my head because like Sasuna's the main character, right? You're playing... Or is, there, is there another character you're playing? Are you, you playing as play is all of them. Yeah. It's ensemble cast. Okay, technically, technically, Ender is the main character. Oh, how, the, how the game works is really cool. This is kind of the intro. You're playing as a character named Ender. He's a silent protagonist uh, and it's not Ender. Uh, I, 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 I'm looking at the characters now and I'm like, oh yeah, so that's who the, these people are. Ender is the main character you play as. And he's just a, a sword wielder. And what happens is he is a, a mercenary who's hired by this nameless individual. Who's like, hey, um, you're, you do whatever job costs the money. We need you to go kill a person. And so you, your game starts with you being hired to assassinate Setsuna. And you like you, you inquire, like, oh, where's the priestess? I want to meet her and pray with her. And they lead all leads up to this moment in like the opening act where you find her next to a gravestone because she's about to start on her pilgrimage. And you try to kill her. And uh, she understands what you're about to do, and she forgives you. Like, and your character is so moved by that she's literally about to forgive you because she's like, "My life means nothing anyway." And he's like, "What do you mean your life means nothing?" And then she explains to you that she's like, "I have to go on this pilgrimage, and at the end, I have to kill myself. I have to sacrifice myself so that the world can be renewed." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, if you have to die anyway, I can still uphold my contract. I'll just uh, make sure no one else kills you." And you're like, well, that's a wild way to, to start a game is that you're hired to kill the main character. And that's Ender. And he's a silent protagonist and he has this really, I don't think he's silent necessarily, but he has this really cool, like, demonic mask he wears because he's like a hitman. And that's Ender. Atuna is like your assassin character who's she's an assistant to Satsuna. Kier's a little mage boy. Then Nadir is your Orin. Is your Orin single to boom hitting people then you get julian who is a knight slash um dragoon she's your lancer dragoon character and she uh is against you and then joins you and then there's a character spoiler alert right here for anyone who hasn't played the game there's a character named fids fidus f-i-d-f-i-d-e-s who literally joins you right before the final dungeon and he is the person that the bad guy hired after ender failed and so this person has literally tried to kill you the entire game <laughs> and after you beat him because you don't always i think you fight him like three or four times which is like what's his name in 
Chrono Trigger. Um, Magnus. Magnus. He's literally Magnus because he wields a big old scythe. He's literally Magnus. Yeah. But that's your characters, and they all have uh, immaculate play styles, but... There's also a really cool thing where each character combo comes together and you have every every person has um, a, a magic or a tech skill. But then some of your characters have special combos, uh, character combos, like how in Chrono Trigger, Chrono, Chrono, Chrono Trigger or Chrono Cross, if you have two characters, the each. main character and Glenn, they would do slash and dash or dash and slash where they do this really cool cross slash move and so on and so forth. Might even have the same name in this game. I think so. I think it's called like X track or X slash. But what happens is as powerful as Nadir and Ender are. And they're incredibly powerful. Atirna and Juliana have this movie called... Movie. Have this special move. And it was called like Evening Blossom or Omega Blossom. I forget which. But how the game works is as you go through the game, you have these uh, this materia essentially called Spyrite or Spearite. And you can craft it at certain points of the game and you require loot from the enemies, components from the enemies to craft these materials. And essentially it, it becomes game-breaking because you can create these broken abilities. Mm-hmm. But... Depending on what you kill an enemy with, it, it drops. If you kill an enemy with fire, it drops an item. Or if you kill an enemy with ice, it drops a different item. Or if you're fighting against, say, a bomb and you kill it with fire, it drops a like a specially rare item that you can only get by killing it with fire. Now, everyone's moves are like have like element based and stuff like that. But this move I'm talking about with the Juliana and uh, Alterna, I think it's called literally it's like Evening Blossom or uh, Harvest Bloom. And it's, it's the only move in the game. And you have to have both of them on your party at the same time. Uh, but it hits with every element in the game. All elements plus physical. So you basically go around near like three-fourths of the way through the game. And with them, and you just go fast travel back to all these old places, killing all these old enemies and hit secret bosses and stuff like that. And you just amass this massive amount of every single component you could possibly want and then you start game breaking this stuff it's yeah we kind of have to mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about because the one thing I remember with this game besides not beating it is there's a, 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 a we call it a wall boss not not a wall that, that's a wall but like a, a, a boss that you when you google not it not a demon wall but an actual like a, a, a boss, a boss that stopped a boss that stops people in their tracks when you when you google it I don't remember what it's called nothing like that when you google it and something I didn't like about it was that I literally had to redesign my entire party to get a specific skill I didn't know existed to beat this boss. I don't like doing that in a game, have no redesign the way I've played characters entirely just to get a certain skill to beat a certain boss. I I, I used the, I forget, probably Neo Seeker or something like yeah, that. Yeah, guide of some sort. I had a yeah. guide that I had was, no guide when I played. And I, I didn't struggle because I'd get to a thing and my guy would be like, hey, make sure you kill enough of these enemies uh, and that way you have enough of the Spyrite to make this. And so you can literally walk into a boss and the, uh, it's like, oh yeah, this boss starts every fight with a giant ice move that can freeze your characters if you're not careful so your first couple of turns you're frozen he's like just equip this and you walk in there and uh you're good same thing i mean oddly enough i did the same thing when i talked about final fantasy 4 was like oh yeah before you fight, fight this boss have uh, your white mage rosa cast float on everybody and then start the combat and you're immune to the boss's biggest attack which is earthquake mm-hmm. so i like stuff like that yeah but you need prior knowledge like i i winging it i would have failed in this game often yeah i had a hard time because it does do how do you call that 
because you, you also get to walk around and you could also get the um, like a lot of these action things you, you get the initiative on enemies by striking them outside combat because this is also the type of there were not random encounters all the fights are on the map so you can dodge around fights and try to like farm a particular one by walking in and out of a map and and having like the same one appear so sorry while you're talking I did I was able to sign up for we talk, we talk about true achievements on this podcast there is a side a website called true trophies I was able to sign up for that now, and it actually has my time. I played 20, 25 hours, 55 minutes, and got half the trophies. So I'll probably play closer to 30, if I, because I actually beat it, and I, I'm, I tend to be longer than you anyway. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Now, the whole game itself, uh, you, you walk around, uh, graphically, everything's like chibi. Like little micro cute versions of mm-hmm. themselves. The game can be very difficult. Like the golden age of RPGs. Like some of those old Super NES, NES RPGs were difficult. They didn't. You had to train. The whole game is does this. Um, I guess it's like a top down perspective. Like you know, kind of like most RPGs. I'm trying to think. Like. I don't want to spoil a lot of the story, but there's a, a moment. Uh, it's probably my favorite moment. It's like halfway through the game. It's when you're about to recruit recruit uh, Julian, Juliana, mm-hmm. and you're at a town called Royberg. Now, I hope that Brian can find some of the music for this, but he might not be able to, because it, but it's a big game, so we'll fingers crossed. It's a town called Royberg, and the whole point of the town is you get there, and... How do I explain it? It's probably, it's really cool because you get there and you find out that this monster has been taking children from the village and, and, you know, it's been taking the parents from the village and leaving the children. And you come across this little boy who's like, help me find my, save my mom. And you're like, okay, let's go save your mom. You, you work your way because the people who are supposed to protect the village, Julian and all her people have left to go fight like uh, waves of monsters that are coming towards the village, not th- expecting to be attacked by, you know, something from the mountains. Anyway, you go through this whole thing and you... You kill this big monster at the end that's been sold. Is that not the boss? Is it that, might be is the that, wall is boss. Is that the wall boss? It might be a wall boss. But I, again, so, I didn't... Because remember though, it would be like, a kid, like chasing a kid in that cave. Yeah. And the whole thing... It, it, spoiler alert. If you have not played this game, this is probably... My, this was my, my favorite part in the whole game. Probably the best part in the whole game. So if you haven't played Setsuna and you have any inkling to, stop now, go play the game, and come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But this part, the big epitome of this part turns out, you kill the big monster. You're like, yeah, you you kill the monster. And it turns out the little boy is that monster's child. And it can shapeshift. And the reason, well, when you get there, the monster's actually already dead. And the person who's been killing the parents was this little boy, luring them for revenge for the village killing his mother. (laughs) And your choice, well... It ends up not really being your choice because everyone wants to kill the little boy. Setsuna being the main character, she uh, she says, no, we have to live in peace. And then you fight Julian, who's come back, and they're trying to murder the little boy. And then you have to whoop their, their ass and be like, we're not going to do this. The reason this happens is because y'all killed his mother. But it's a giant monster that eats. It's like, no, if you listen to the kid who speaks English and the monster who spoke, you know, human rather, not necessarily English, but spoke human, you'd find out that it's a guardian spirit. It's not trying to kill you. You just killed it because it looked like a monster. And so all this bad stuff, they caused them. And it was just this huge, probably the epitome of the story. And mm-hmm. like, it was probably, it was hands down the best part. It was so sad and so like, you know, like it just threw me for a loop that like, you know, violence beget violence begets violence. At the mm-hmm. only, It was just a beautifully well done part of the story. Roy Berg. It's the only town I remember the whole game, honestly. Yeah. Because it was, it was 
it was just mm. yeah. It was a, I, I applaud. I was like, holy crap, that was great and it, awesome. Saw there was a cool moment in there. Yeah. Cool area. And, and the whole thing was like the, that whole whole storyline. And I think you get to come back later and see that they're kind of like it's like the only semi happy part. But it, it, the world's ending anyway, so it's not really that happy. Now, one thing I didn't like, and it's on purpose, is I don't remember there's any. I don't think there's any voice acting. I think there may have been like random like chip notes, like a yelling an attack. I don't think Maybe. besides that. You don't remember? There's no CGI in the whole game. There was it was all in-game graphics and in-game cutscenes. But on purpose, some of their story beats they don't actually explain on purpose. They wanted to leave it up to interpretation, which I find that a little annoying. Yeah. I'm like, don't. I don't know. You talk about this on the, on the on our movie podcast. Like sometimes I'm okay with leaving things up to interpretation because it makes people talk about the game, talk about this, and it makes people talk about your story. But also, I think leaving things up to interpretation is lazy. Mm-hmm. Can't it can be? It can, that it can be lazy because that means you don't know how to what you wanted to do. So you're just kind of like, eh, it could be this, or it could be this, or maybe they could even interpret it this way. You know, you just kind of like shrug your shoulders and like, not my problem. And it just if you have a story. Do the story. Like I'm, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm too stupid to understand interpretation. But my thing is also, I, I read, I tend to look at things face value. I don't dig for a deeper meaning or for an interpretation. I'll get to a thing of like, oh, usually, usually the deeper meaning is somebody's politics, and that's so boring. <laughs> yeah, veiled politics and veiled politics is the most boring story you can tell. And like veiled personal beliefs and crap like that, like bleeding or using your characters as a mouthpiece for your political view or your personal view on some garbage. Yeah. I hate that crap. That's not in this game. Yeah, but, but that like I've, we've gone through, we've talked about it uh, ourselves, like through like certain books we've read where characters are just insane. Uh, what was uh, the Sword of Truth series? Yeah, yeah. But we're not gonna talk about that right now. But it just gets to a point where characters are just literally spouting off nonsense, or characters literally created to ask a question so that they can verbal diarrhea the, all the story again up to a certain point and crap like that. But before I go on too too many tangents, uh, I for the most part enjoyed the game. I thought it was middling. You know, yeah. I loved Royberg. Like that part was fantastic, and all the characters were you know genuinely decent, and they were all individual enough that it was good. Because I like an RPG where your characters are individual. I'm not a big yeah. fan where you like, like as much as I enjoy Final Fantasy X and that how game breaking it is to have Yuna become your black mage and go down Luna's path or Lulu's path and then take Orin down Tidus's path and then you're like yeah they're super super, super fast Orin I like individuality mm-hmm. and my characters I don't much care for taking them yeah. down those paths like classes exist in yeah the video I like a class based system and this does that very well mm-hmm. I feel like uh, this game I think I liked it up up until I had to change my party completely to fight a boss. I think that's when the game started rubbing me the wrong way. I had that same thing too. I told you it was a really dumb thing that put me off of Final Fantasy 3 way back in the day. Because mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 3 is very class-based. And I, I, I don't have my classes. I'm all, yay, classes. There's a part in the story where you had to like change all your characters to like one class to like get through a part to like shrink everybody down or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to change my entire party to move forward. I know it's kind of like a dumb, stubborn thing. I mean, that's how I ended up putting down Final Fantasy 3 back in the day. But this kind of same thing, I played this through uh, up to that point. I feel like that's when they started rubbing me the wrong way because I was told to like build a, build a you know, that skill you talked about, which pretty much is game breaking, really. 
it carries you for quite a while after that as well all up until where i got to the last bosses which are a, a series of bosses where i ended up i think i did something wrong and like got killed on the last last boss and i was like well i'm not doing that again and i didn't like this game that much anyway that's kind of where i ended up landing so i kind of ended the game on, on a sour note too so i don't have as many good memories of it as that i don't know if i should bother trying it again or anything <sighs> It's 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 it is good, but then there's the the game does also a little too much, hmm. like with that spy the spyrite stuff and game breaking things. It's just that's also the only way to get your abilities and stuff like that. It's equipping certain spyrite to people, and the, the same spyrite equipped on a different person could have a different effect or a different ability for them to have. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to breathe because I'm fat and out of shape. Uh, people. Uh, <laughs> It, people seemed to like it when it first came out. Like, they, they you know... Everybody was excited about it. Yeah. Just the RPG, you know, groups and stuff, all the groups I was in and put that down. Online, all the RPG stuff. It was very excited for Tokyo RPG Factory and I Am Setsuna. It's crazy, because the fact that there's still a company, because it says right here, oh, the game itself was received very well. 7.5s, 8.5s, 75. You know, it was all received very well. Even when it sold, for PS4, it sold only 33. Three and a half thousand copies. Thirty-three and a half thousand copies. My bad. And then for the Vita, it sold for twenty-eight thousand copies, which brought it to only sixty-six thousand units. Yeah. And it says during the first year, Tokyo RPG Factory recorded heavy losses to its parent company, though this was not seen as unusual given the status as a new studio. The following year, however, they had earned a substantial profits and continued sales from Setsuna. So it kind of came out as a flop, and then word of mouth people have... Maybe. I think what hurts it more than anything, and what put us off, put us off for so long, was a $40 price tag. Yes. I think the game would have done a lot better at twenty. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not valuable at forty dollars, but like for a, brand, 30, a brand new company, even and, thirty would have been yeah more tolerable. Forty dollar price. That we wait. I waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. I think I eventually bought it for like half off or something like that. When I eventually mm-hmm. sat on a watch list, on a wish list for so long, wait for it to be cheaper. I'm just because we're we're you know we're cheap as hell. And I finally bought it, and then really didn't. I, we I would have bought it and started playing it at the same time, like, like right when I bought it, because I was so uh, kind of pumped up for it. And then you know, but I think the forty dollar price tag did some damage there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I paid for Lost Sphere. I turned it on. Yeah. The other thing that people that I kind of remember were the frequent load times. Like getting into combat was a kind of a drag because the load times for because because how because how combat worked is you get into a fight, you trigger the fight, the monsters would appear in the combat, and then your characters would run to their positions in combat. So like combat took a second to get started. Like even if it's just like two or three seconds, like we've talked about, like yeah, restarting or doing anything. That, yeah, that like few seconds, kind of all, all the way back to little nightmares. Like two or three seconds. Over the course of forever, you're just like, come on. You know, it's just crazy. So combat was a bit in, like, everything loaded. Like, there were so many low, uh, different screens to go through, going through a dungeon. Town was whatever, but going in and out of town. Like, it just, I, I kind of remember that. People talk about that. There were, but um, the main thing is the story itself is... It's it's an emotional roller coaster essentially because there is some there is some pretty cool plot twists that I sort of didn't see coming necessarily that I I well I think I saw it coming at the last second but then I did enjoy it on the whole I don't remember enough of it um do you have anything else you want to add Drew no uh, 
I don't got kind of like middling feelings for the for the game in general. I don't think I would I mean, if I had a guide, maybe I would have beat it and been more prepared and stuff like that. But I, I don't know, I couldn't just didn't get there. And if it says anything, we I, I never I didn't like immediately jump on there. I, mean, I, I for whatever reason I bought their next game, but I haven't played it. Well, our thing is um, when it comes to RPGs, anything that is semi old school I don't want to say pixel, pixel graphics but just like I say old school as in like a turn based RPG we tend to try to buy those sometimes on sale but sometimes we'll like you know especially if it's on like Kickstarter or something we'll support it because turn based RPGs are are amazing mm-hmm People, I, I love a turn-based RPG, but people are like, turn-based RPGs are so slow. Give me an action-based RPG so I can hit things and not really have to pay attention. And it's, I, mm-mm, I, I love a turn-based RPG. Yeah. Yes, they're a little That's slower. That's why we haven't jumped on Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. I've heard, I, it, I've heard it's, people say, ooh, it's complicated and cool. I mean, and, and, and you, get, you get the two sides where it's just a button mashing fest. Yeah. Just give me, just, I like a turn-based. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about now, we are playing an incredible turn-based game right now. Phenomenal turn-based game. One that we've talked about their company before. Oh, hint, hint. <laughs> hint, hint. Wink, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. nudge. It'll, come, it'll come up in the post-100 episode. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add? If not, I think I can wash my hands. Wash your hands with this, too? Mm-hmm. All right. No, I ain't got, any, I ain't got anything else. Uh, Since so it goes for forty dollars, I wouldn't buy it for forty. Uh, we never. I mean, I, I think I'd probably ended up buying it for twenty or less. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess with that, we'll wrap things up here and uh, go on eat lunch. We're always our po- our post podcast thing is to go eat. Oh yeah. As Blake talks about being fat and lazy, our post podcast is lunchtime. Uh, I want to thank Jared and the guys of Emerge for letting us use a "Letting Go" for our intro song. We really appreciate that, and I always say it's probably the best part of the podcast. It's no no harm in that, I guess. Maybe it's harmful for our podcast, but it will, we, we enjoy having it there. I want to thank uh, Milad Markovic, aka Devious Pixel, for the art for the podcast. All the art we have, we'll have, we'll have new art. I just reminded Blake today that we kind of need to con- contact him for our hundredth episode art. Uh, we haven't talked about it much yet. Yet. Uh, we're not gonna do. We're not, we're not gonna do a guest for episode 100. Uh, we're gonna try to. Don't get your hopes up, but we're because we're not we're not clever enough to do anything super special. But we're gonna, we're kind of gonna kind of just talk about the podcast. 100 episodes is a pretty big deal for any podcast, especially as I would think for a small podcast like us. 100 episodes is pretty cool. Thought about quitting a bunch of times, but oh, it yeah. just kept on kept on going, kept on chugging away. But we'll we'll talk. We're we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna discuss it a little bit more. Don't expect a like a anything any kind of grand gesture or anything like that. You know, you've listened to the podcast. You know about how much how much you're going to get out of it probably. But we, we probably won't have any talk about any specific games on there or anything like that. We'll talk about the podcast and maybe how we feel. about about it and crap like that so that's coming up in episode 100 so there won't be it won't be a guest but you know we'll get there lastly of course i want to uh, to come to our twitch streams mm-hmm. we're, having, we're having a lot of fun with that keep Grace. keep coming to what yeah keep coming coming to those that we, we enjoy the little folks that show up to those things uh that's uh twitch.tv forward slash two smoking controllers as well as you come to those you can hang out with us and our cousin brian who as well as i want to thank brian for editing the podcast that uh, takes a load off my shoulders so i could edit our edit our other podcast which place want to mention here in a second so i want to thank you buddy for listening holler at us online come to our streams we'd like to have some other folks be a part of the podcast you know we've done a lot of episodes and we got listeners that we just have silent listeners but we like to have some people get more involved so thanks so much and i'll let blake close it out a little bit of self-promotion on my part is i do have a short story that i've published through amazon uh, unlimited it's called they come this night please find that read that rate it it's only a dollar unless you have kindle unlimited uh then it's completely free and uh we have a brother podcast that has spawned out of this one as you've noticed that we have stopped talking about music and movies so much uh because this podcast uh action 
the movie podcast that we do with our, our good buddy Steve kind of has me has filled that void a little bit. And that one is a full spoiler podcast as opposed to this one being a by, by filling that void. Blake used to dedicate 30 minutes or so maybe to end of our one of our episodes to talk about a movie. Those podcasts are over two hours long. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to fill a void in your life of some people two people who really love movies talking about movies, action is a good place to go because it's two hour two, two hours plus every episode. We try not to be, but we just, just get talking about movies and scenes and actors and actresses and so on and so forth. Yeah. And the cool thing about action is um, we take turns semi-surprising one another with the movie and we don't discuss it at all until we record. That way you're hearing our first thoughts and opinions on it and we don't risk the other one uh, and we don't risk each other. Yeah, just our first conversation yeah. about the movie. It's pretty cool. We, uh, yeah. And with that being said, I'm going to close out and uh, I want to wish everybody a good evening and good night.